Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Good afternoon, folks, and we'd like to welcome you to the 53rd podcast of uh, Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. And today we have brought back Will Kahn, and it's not so much to talk about um, guitars, and guitars are very important, but we're going to talk with Will about his expertise in home recording. Um, we really had a good session with Eric, and we're going to continue those in the future, but we figured we'd get the view from the top will so uh, uh here we are it's thursday the 27th and tad's just back from the woodstock festival and looks like it's not as cold I am. looks like it's not as cold in santa cruz will as it is down here is it cold up there pretty warm i would say low 70s probably wow we're, we haven't hit 60 in four days in the 30s at night it's just it's just freezing there's two great day and sleeping in front of the fireplace right now so i'm a pretty lucky guy but um will's past was in high-end recording and and he'll 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 go over that a little bit but we hope that what we can give you here is maybe something that you can either aspire to or something that you can maybe pick and choose from and say Okay, I don't want to go all the way with this, but boy, do I want to go all the way with this product. So, um, welcome, Will. Thank you so much. I mean, I think that one thing I heard in just the intro of, of Eric Sky's podcast that we just had, um, which I need to listen to the whole thing, but what a tremendous man and player. And um, the first thing he talked about was the performance and yes. I think that in today's age, everybody knows what's possible in the digital world. And, you know, my argument is that digital, when things went digital, it didn't necessarily get better. That if you, you know, to me, the peak of music, you know, was the late 60s, early 70s. And if you listen to, for me, like two would be Aretha Franklin or Ray Charles, like listening to that music there's a whole lot of musicality. It's not the it's not the most advanced recording techniques in the history. It's a, you know sometimes it's a few microphones and a lot of the Ray Charles stuff. They're in Atlantic Records and they moved all the desks out of the way and they just recorded it there at night, you know. And then in the morning they're moving the desks back. So I think that you know what has happened is with the digitization of recording everything has just gotten so perfect that it, we've kind of lost the soul and the essence of why we're doing it in the first place. Um, you have singers who know that, oh, you can just tune that or you can loop it or you can stretch it or move it. And there's the sense of urgency that's lost. So I think that just to solidify what Eric was saying is, yeah, the performance is so important. And it's something that ironically is kind of lost in a lot of studios nowadays do you uh 
do you think there's a future to to recording studios? I, you know, I my first job was Hit Factory in New York, <laughs> and everything associated with that, with uh, with Todd's Secret Sound, and um, at that time it was Power Station, um, mm. you know, uh, and and Record Plant in New York, although it wasn't as as big as Hit Factory and and, uh, and Power Station were, but you know we had such well-tuned rooms and at that time you know i mean i think our mic locker had 60 u47s you know and <laughs> it's just just crazy just crazy yeah. stuff and and you really couldn't create at home what we can create now um and you know it well, address that. I mean, you know, do we need it? Do we need ultra fancy rooms or? Well, I think that, you know, so my first uh, real recording experience was with the group Samba Da that I used to play with here in Santa Cruz. And we went into the big studios and we really weren't ready. Uh, there was one called Coast Recording up in San Francisco that we went into that Bill Putnam had built. Um, great sounding room, wonderful mics, but the band wasn't quite ready. And so what we ended up doing was going in, tracking everyone together, and then bringing it home and starting to pick things apart and overdub one thing at a time. And by the end, it was like, you know, I really loved those records and it was a really great experience. And I do think we need the big studios still. Um, the, the world has really shifted since, you know, the late 70s, the 80s and 90s when there was big um, budgets and you had people going in and locking out those big studios. I think now you have to be a lot more careful. There's a lot less money. But I I think that because my band wasn't ready, I said, I got, that's when I started getting my home studio together. I thought, how cool would this be? We don't have the pressure. We can invest our money in gear that we can use forever. But there's something about the studio when you have, you just talked about the room. Um, I want to see every studio that's around survive and I want to see more go up. Um, I think it is really important. There's something about that having a beautiful band together that plays together really well and capture them in a wonderful sounding room with great microphones and a board. There's just something to that. It's just really magic. Um, but, you know, I also have a really phenomenal home studio and I'm doing quite a bit with it. Um, you know, I do think the biggest thing is the performance and the music. And I think that as an engineer, you can lose track of that. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's like play the song and, you know, I don't recommend recording an album on your phone, but we have all these amazing uh, things around that a really good song and a great performance can translate, you know, in many different ways. Now, I came from the company Burl Audio before I started working here at, at Santa Cruz Guitars. And I think that what Rich Williams, who's the owner of Burl Audio, he's the Richard Hoover of Burl Audio, um, he went out to create, He once he found kind of this formula of a way to uh, kind of have an analog sound in a digital device, um, he went all in and it was a lot of people tried to talk him out of it because it was just very expensive. The parts can be hard to make, but 
he didn't care about any of that. He didn't, you know, he knew it was going to be expensive. He knew that not everyone was going to be able to afford it, but he wanted to make something that you could work up to and that um, was the best it could possibly be. Mm. So when one big thing to think about in, in recording is that in the old days, you had, you know, these beautiful microphones and you also had the tape machine and the recording consoles and those all together had a sound. And he talked, Rich, my old boss would talk about, you know, with a tape machine, with a really nice tape machine and a really great board, you'd have a band play. You'd tell them, okay, come and listen. You'd hit rewind. They'd sit down on the couch. You'd hit play. And it sounded like a record. And with the digitization, what's gone is things have gotten more perfect. And if you look at a scope, it may be more accurate, but it hasn't gotten more musical. And so what you have now is you have you know, digital recording, which doesn't have those same non-linearities and those same, um, it, it doesn't sound like a record right away. You have to really kind of figure out ways to digitally manipulate things after the fact. And while that, that's a blessing and a curse, you know, <laughs> you get these amazing tools, but again, has music gotten better over the last 40 or 50 years? You know, it's certainly progressed and there's a lot that I love about it. So with Burl Audio, what they had done was, you know, put Transformer on the front end of a digital um, interface, which means that you can, you have this certain kind of non-linearity happening that is musical and feels good as opposed to being scientifically perfect. It was like, does it sound good? Oh, this sounds better Then we're going to do this. Um, and not to mention, you know, really built the right way, built in the USA, uh, very heavy duty chassis, all class A circuitry and um, you know, high voltage and all stuff. So without going too far into that, um, what I've found is if you have the certain building blocks, you know, that particular thing, which is the interface, um, you know, while the, the performance is the most important part, if you can capture it really well, that interface is actually extremely important part of the whole equation. Um, so I've been incredibly spoiled with with that with the, the experience of working with Pearl. So how did they? How, how did you test? Did did you test? I, I'm sure you tested with scopes and everything else. But then was there a listening room that you would? You know, it's kind of like yeah, absolutely. And and that's what the thing is. Um, there was someone who worked, a kid who worked for us and then went to work with one of the local competitors. And he had been soldering different components onto these op amps. And there was one song, I, I basically was the musician and the owner would say, okay, we've got this part um, soldered in today. We're ready to go. And all these parts looked identical on the scope and had the same specs. But when you actually listen to it, some of them, I couldn't tell the difference. Like I couldn't tell what there was one that I remember it was, it was a variable we had and I could turn around and I could tell you based on the guitar, it was in my electric guitar. I could tell you when you switched it and which one it was. It was so, and, and again, it looks identical on the scope. Mm. It's supposedly the same component. So these things were tuned when you work on a mix you know, you sometimes put it, put it down and come back the next day and you listen, you listen to it in your car. It's something that's kind of living. 
and you can just kind of get these real minutia. You have to know when to stop because you can go forever. A work but of art. Work of it's art. A work it's a work of art. And so it's never often, finished. It's merely abandoned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so often it was, you know, with a glass of wine in the recording studio, listening to either music coming back or sometimes we'd record it. And like I said, with this one particular one, I think we did 38 recordings of the same 16 bar song you know, that I just had the guitar parts and the bass parts and the drum parts all written and it would just go repeat it. And every change we had to go back and do it again and do it again. And we would, you know, compare it to no interface, meaning the microphone into a mic pre into the speakers. And then we'd start converting and then we'd hear the different versions of it. So very um, hands-on in the recording studio. And to finish the story, the young kid who worked with us helping us do that soldering he worked for a, another competitor and he said to the, the the senior engineers, well, you know, you guys have to like listen to this, right? And he said they like, they laughed him out of the room, like, oh, God, you know, don't give me that. So that's something that, you know, we really did is a lot of time in the studio listening to stuff. And um, it's not necessarily a pitch for Burl. I do think it's the best in the world as far as the interfaces go. Their, their smallest interface is going to be at, you know, 5,500 bucks. And you can go up to 20 grand really quickly. So, you know, that's the ultimate, I think, that where you want to get to. But as far as home studios go, and I don't know if you want to prompt me on this, but, you know, there's a couple factors that, you know, I always ask people, how many zeros are you talking about? You know, um, I could, I could pitch a, you know, a million dollar studio pretty easily. And then we could talk about building. And I mean, land prices and all that. I mean, you could, it's infinite really. Um, but I think that a lot of people like myself are, you know, not sitting on a hundred million dollars to sink into a recording studio. So I think that um, one of the first things that would come to mind, if I have a blank canvas, a room in a house, and I have a very limited budget as far as, um, you know, microphones, microphone preamps and an interface and a lot of times interfaces have a built-in mic pre um, so I'll say the first thing I would do is you know a we want to look at the performance and the instrument and start with that and listen to how that sounds because that can inform us for the rest now I'm sitting in a room full of sheetrock you know with four parallel walls so the second thing I would say is get rid of ugly reflections in a in a standard room in a house um, something that I would use a lot is like, I think they call it like a Soji screen. If you can correct me, like the Japanese, it's got hinges and a moving blanket. So if I was going to record in this room right now and get some good volume, it's, you're going to pick up, you're going to hear the kind of fluttering effect of the sound bouncing around. And so you're going to want to get that out to a certain extent. Um, so some Soji screens and some um, moving blankets, you know, is a great way. You can even just hang the blankets any way you want. Um, just to, you know, maybe give some space between the wall and the blanket. That'll do a lot for bringing down unwanted uh, reverberations and, and reflections. But I would also say that, you know, every room has a sound and there might be some rooms in the house if we're talking homes, you know, the kitchen might sound really great. You know, um, I was playing in a recording studio and they have a hall and a bathroom right behind. 
and I was playing the drums in the main room. And if we open the door, you can hear the reverb of the hallway. That might be really great. So those are the first two things I would say is, you know, focus on the performance and the instrument. And then, you know, some really cheap deadening to kind of eliminate any unwanted, you know, reflections. I, I, I'll completely uh, support that in, in the packing blankets. I don't know how many times I walked into uh, Sound City, you know, with, with Petty there. And the, it was just walls of packing blankets, you know, and, and it was just whatever they could do to stop those standing waveforms from moving around like that. And, uh, you know, it, it takes 41 feet for a bass guitar note, a low E to develop that that waveform is 41 feet long. Yeah, well, you know, so it's it, it, it's fascinating, you know, in that that you start thinking it in those terms and you shouldn't I don't think, you know, as a consumer, you should feel bad if there's a couple packing blankets on your you know, on your wall. It, 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 Eric's Eric's wife said, just don't make it too weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, books or bookshelves are also really great for diffusion and I guess it's diffusion. It's great for, for, you know, treating a room, so to speak. Records also could be really great. Um, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I have a little warehouse space where I have my shop and I have a room that I kind of said, okay, guys, this is going to be the band room. And when we first moved into it, it was empty. I mean, and it reverberated something terrible. So we covered the whole thing in moving blankets. That was the cheap thing to do. But over the next few months, I put in walls of bookcases to store all my books. And basically, the room sounded better. Yeah. Um, the moving blankets almost blocked too much of the, the bouncing or whatever. But the bookcases and all the random books actually diffused the bouncing around it i i don't know what i'm talking about all i know is it sounded better and i'm with you and i think that in the was, end I, oh sorry please go on Dan. well well i was gonna say so i will admit my my lack of experience with this and that the only time i have been actively engaged in a professional recording studio was over 50 years ago uh when i was in the san francisco boys chorus and what I remember most about that experience was this large dead room, 40 very preteen boys, you know, trying to get a performance out of them uh, with, I don't know, we had three or four mics set up. Um, it was it was intense. I mean, but to me, the thing I took away from it was the beauty of the studio was it was a workplace. You know, you could be at your, your we, we rehearsed in the church and you could go to the church and sit in the back room and rehearse your parts over and over and over and over again. But when you went to the studio, it was a workplace and you had to know what you were doing. You know, we couldn't afford a huge amount of time. So it was like, OK, now you got to perform. Now you got to nail it. And I just remember that 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 environment with the the grand pianos and, and everything. I mean, this is over fifty years ago, so there was no digital, nothing available back then. Um, and I, and to me, that's the one thing. That's why I set up this room in my warehouse. Is I think it's important 
that you have a space that really is where you go to work and not just, you know, just a random space and, oh, well, you know, if this doesn't work, I'll try it again tomorrow or, or whatever else. Um, that would be the one thing I would add to that, you know, environment thing. But it's funny because there was a period where rooms were too dead, mm -hmm. you know, where, where they just tried to kill everything about it. And then they kind of went, well, wait a minute, you know, we're, we, we've gone too far here right. and, and we're coming back. And then, you know, I just can't get the picture of let it be out of my mind. Here is, here is this amazing sounding room, first of all, but they have a PA set up in there. <laughs> they are playing a PA at volume and there's no bleed. Yeah, you know, and because they couldn't hear any other way, they didn't have headphones, right? And they're playing in there with you would never, ever, ever do that unless you were George Martin, right? And I think that you know, I, one thing that was coming to mind is that yes, you know, you don't want to go too far. Uh, you know, Tad's talking about the, some, the sound blankets, the, the moving blankets, rather being a little too much. And so there's this really great story of uh, Herb Alpert and they're building some studio and they were, you know, at some point between starting it and finishing it. And he took a snare drum in the room and hit it once and said, everyone stop. And they said, well, we're not done yet. And he's, yes, you are. You know, that's it. And I think um, there is a certain character about certain rooms. You know, they talk about when the levee breaks by Led Zeppelin and the house in, you know, Northern England, they were recording in and, you know, the stairwell where they put the drums and that, you know, iconic sound. And so I think that um, realizing that, like, in again, in this room, I can hear it as I'm talking, just, you know, sheetrock parallel walls aren't doing anyone a favor. Um, you know, and so that's something that I think you, in that case, in this case, in this room, I would try to really break that up but you also want to i think you can play with the the natural characteristic of a room and you know maybe have blankets you can put up or down depending on what you're doing that's just a really cheap way to go and so something i recommend and i think the other thing is that sense of urgency that uh tad you're talking about and that's something that through the digital you know now i've got a hard drive i can get a four terabyte internal hard drive on a computer nowadays I mean, so how much, you know, you have, yeah, you have a tape. About $69. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, if you're on a, on a tape, I want to say it's like 15 minutes of, you know, at 20, at a, at, I don't really think about this, 30, 30 ips, I think six, is about 15, 16 and a half. There, thank you. <laughs> so, you know, that's, there's a certain sense of urgency. And what I started to do is, even though I do work digitally, um, and I do have a, a little reel-to-reel -reel tape machine that I bought for $75 on Craigslist, by the way, um, that I use for fun. Um, but there's a certain sense of urgency that comes from the old days of recording to tape that you didn't have these unlimited, you know, oh, we could just loop record. And like, you can literally loop record and get 30 of a, a certain thing and then go. And I think that the going back to fix it is, often a deterioration and if you can somehow capture kind of more like think of it as lightning in a bottle you want to capture some magic rather than over polish it um you know i think that's really the best way to go for me anyway and that's where i've been using 
you know, the computer as, as more and more like a tape machine. Um, you know, just that sense of, you know, I dropped markers rather than using my eyes. I remember I had someone come in and we were doing a tape transfer and I said, and I did a digital fade. And I said, how do you like this fade? And he closed his eyes and listened. And I looked at him and I thought, why, why doesn't he want to look? And I went, well, because it's music. I mean, I thought like, <laughs> I've been looking at this stuff to determine how it sounds. What a tragedy. Um, so yeah, and then there's just so much, you know, I love to talk about all this recording. Um, I think that another thought that came to me was, you know, you're probably not limited by your stuff as much as you are the room, the performance, and, you know, as an engineer, our knowledge. Um, I have this incredible home studio. I've got an old Yamaha mixing board. Um, I've got um, an AKG BX20. Richard, do you know what that is? Yeah. Um, and I've got this incredible microphone, you know, some some really cool microphones. Um, and I've got, you know, the Burl gear to die for and a bunch of, you know, incredible preamps. And so I always say, well, I'm the weak link in my studio. You know, it's not the gear. Although, you know, of course, there's things that I still want. So I think that, um, you know, really just trusting your ear, listening and, and trying things. Um, and the other thing is with microphones, the concept of phase, you know, phase between different microphones is so important that for me, so often than not, less is more. And, you know, so I see a lot of people recording the guitars in stereo. And I think that there's a way to do that tremendously. And I generally am doing all my acoustic guitar recordings in one mic that I move around and I find the right spot for it. Because then you don't have potential phase issues between the two, two mics. And, you know, as much as we all want to think that all of our, everything we record is going to be in like beautiful stereo you know, often I have a guitar panned to one side anyway. Um, so, you know, Al Schmidt, who I think is just going to have, be, you know, recognizes Multiple one years. of, yeah. yeah, one of the best, if not just the yeah. best, you know, in, audio engineer of all time. I mean, yeah. one of them, to say. And what I couldn't believe him saying is that he's, you know, he's recorded, you know, basically everyone. <laughs> And his, he said, I don't use EQ. And I thought, what does he mean? And what he means is that he chooses that, you know, he has the right room, the right players, the right microphone in the right place. And so he doesn't have to fix it. He, he knows his microphones or knew them, rest in peace. Um, he knew, the, you know, he knew the room, he was working at Capitol. He, and so moving a microphone around can be a huge change. So use your ears use what limited uh, equipment you do have and less is more. I, the key, the key word I'm, I'm going to take away from this whole thing is listen. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I got to work with Bruce Turgeson a little bit. Um, Wendy, my wife worked with Al Schmidt a lot. Um, I got to work with some pretty great engineers and they really opened up my ears and, 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 you know, it's a weird concept, but you really do have to listen. I mean, you know, there's that day, like this guy watching, listening to a playback with his eyes closed. There's there's a day when the light comes on, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, no, I need to really, really, really listen. It, it, 
and it, it, it's it, the room is the room is critical i mean think about exile on main street mm-hmm. you know i mean their amps were downstairs you know, in 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 coal bins and things like that you know for for that to work and that was i i was lucky enough to be part of digital when it came in and the first thing i know of it was it was at the village and mitsubishi brought in a 32 track recorder and we had um a bunch of 3ms and we ran them simultaneously and the band was fleetwood mac and they went out in the studio and 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 cut something and came back in and we were listening to it in the control room and everybody just looked around and said this digital thing it's going nowhere mm-hmm. and i think that was maybe about 83 might have been 82 or 83 and to put a point of reference to that steve earl's guitar town totally digital mm-hmm. you know which is a great sounding record and it, it, you know it 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 changed fast you know um it didn't change as fast in the visual when when we went from analog film to to digital imaging it didn't change nearly as fast mm-hmm. and i don't know i don't know if that's because of the you know everything's in a box of 255 i mean that that's what you've got to work with and when right. when visuals first came out you really our eyes are accustomed to the way a slope of film looks. And I think our ears were accustomed to the way it sounded, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so people say digital, it's like, it doesn't work, you know, oh no, no, no. And it's, it's... well, let me, let me ask the two of you, because I'd be interested in both of your opinions. One of the things I've learned in going to some of these guitar shows is that when you get guitars that are priced over, say, $20,000, $25,000, they all tend to sound pretty damn good. But there are subtleties, and I'm still learning how to listen to some of those. Now, when you're talking about listening in a recording studio, how do you learn what it is you're listening for and do you have any recommendations of things for people to listen to, to train their ears uh, into understanding what they're hearing when they're trying to do recording? You want to go? Or is that too deep for a short it, it, podcast? No, I, I, I'll take I'll take a little whack at it. Um, I was lucky enough to have some mentors that really would take the time. And after a session, we'd go to their apartment and they'd say, let me play you this, you know, or when we had downtime, they would say, let me play you that. Um, But as Eric said, a great pair of headphones will really open up your ears. And we don't, we don't do what we used to do. We don't put on a record and listen to it from the beginning to the end. Mm. And I still, I love doing that in the car. I just, I just love putting something on and playing it, you know, and there's no disruption and, and, you know, unless you rear in somebody, but there's really a chance there for you to hear all these subtleties. And even today, 
at a at an advanced age and with kind of funky hearing, I'm still hearing things in some of those records that I never heard before. And it's because I'm listening and I'm trying to do it non distracted. You know, we get so many distractions. Yeah, I mean, um, I was really lucky to see Quincy Jones speak one time at a South by Southwest, uh, you know, festival, I guess you call it, in, in Austin. And that was just, it was like seeing the Dalai Lama or something, you know. And um, he said that he, you know, that everyone, he was talking about how um, what he, you know, he'd worked with Frank Sinatra. And I think he had done, you know, Fly Me to the Moon and all the stuff. And then he got brought on into Michael Jackson's camp. And that there was this whole faction of Michael's management that said, Quincy Jones, you want the big band arranger? Like, what does he know about pop music? And he said, he stopped and he said, I love being underestimated. <laughs> and then, of course, they went on to do, you know, Off the Wall and Thriller. And, and then he said, then people have come up to him, every, you know, how do I make a hit record, Quincy? You know, like he's kind of made the, I don't know, one of the one of the top selling it does never be another thriller, right? Yeah, it's and, big. It's a big one. <laughs> and so, um, and so he said that Alicia Keys was about to go in the studio again the next couple of days, and he was at a party, and her mom was there. And so Alicia's mom says to Quincy, "Hey, Quincy, do you have any um, any advice for for Alicia?" And he said, "Just have her have her play the song she loves." And so, in the same way of like training your ear, it's like. I think we all know what music we love, what albums have really, uh, you know, made a mark on our lives. So for me, if I'm going into a new room, I'll make sure to listen to music I'm familiar with. Uh, one of my favorite records of all time is, is Voodoo by D'Angelo. That was actually all done in Electric Lady in New York um, in the late 90s, I guess, even though it seems much more recent in my brain, um, and done all the tape. And that's what one thing I'll do is put on a record that I know really well in a new space. Um, and so you kind of get to know it that way. I think it's listening. It's like music. I believe, you know, music is happening all the time all around us. It's just even right now, it's still, it's this like, it's kind of like love, which is a force that isn't uh, defined by humans, but we can do our best to describe it or to, you know, with music, I think, and the best music, we're channeling something, not necessarily creating it. I think of it like a garden. You can grow a garden, but how much can you take credit for of a zucchini plant? You know, you didn't make it. It's it's this miracle, right? So, um, so I think that with what to listen to, it's it's music that you love because that's what I think we want to make. We don't want to make music we can't stand. I mean, I think uh, as any engineer is going to do, we're going to have to get into maybe a band that we wouldn't listen to, but you still want to do your best work. So as far as what to listen to, Todd, I think um, music that you love. Well, yeah, yeah. so I, I, yeah, no, that, I, I was going more in the direction of distinctions in the equipment. Like you were talking about flutter in a room. Okay. How does somebody recognize something like that? If, if you're sitting in your your kitchen and you've got your, you know, uh, $10,000 DAW and, and your uh, $500 mic cable and your $50,000 guitar plug, you know, and you've got everything to the 
best you can do and you strum something and it doesn't sound good to you despite having spent all that money how do you listen to that how do you try and determine where that's coming from is it an environmental thing is it reflection is it is it that you you don't have something plugged in right is it that you have the eq wrong is it that you have i I, i'm just i'm wondering if there's ways that people can learn how to listen to get the best out of what they have Um, i mean the first thing i would say is like if we have a variable we're talking flutter for example or i don't know if that's the right word but uh, if we're talking about the reverberation then we know that theoretically hanging blankets will deaden that so Mm -hmm. i would say you know record it one way then change one variable at a time you know i would start with no eq start with putting the eq at nothing putting a microphone up and playing and then listen and really you know and i think that as you start to you know anyone who's recording you know a few hundred hours even just a beginner um will start to kind of know you know where you want it to go and i think then if you then try a different microphone you know then listen to that you know so it's an ongoing process and i think that there's a balance between uh i I remember i think it was um tom waits was producing something and there was an engineer and he was like halfway set up and the band came in and started playing and tom looks over the guy says hit record and the guy says, oh, but the mics aren't all set up in the right place. And he just says, hit record right now, you know, that there's, you know, you can, you don't want to get into a thing where you never, you know, that you don't actually get anything done because you're experimenting the whole time. But I think, you know, you have to get into the joy of moving that microphone, changing the microphone, doing one thing at a time. And then you can listen to the two and say, okay, I like that sounds better to me, you know. So, so what I hear you saying is, is just like learning how to play guitar takes a whole lot of practice and a whole lot of paying attention, <laughs> which is probably okay. one of the reasons that professional recording studios will stick around for a very long time. Because uh, I know an awful lot of musicians who don't have that patience. Um, you know, they'll spend a lot of time working on their song, working on their instrument, working on their their technique, you know, so that they get what they hear what they want to hear but when they sit down to record yeah they're not going to take that kind of time so you know and i would suggest too um if i have a home studio and i want to just be recording um you can even think about hiring someone to come in specifically saying i want help getting my studio set up you're going to be 300 bucks for the day 500 bucks for the day you know i'm going to pay you i want you to come and help me get set up because when I was doing uh, during the pandemic, I had I got my studio kind of all put together and I set microphones up. I did five microphones on the drums. I did a kick mic, a snare mic, two overheads, sometimes one. And then kind of a, I called it a trash mic. It was a really old, uh, just sounds really terrible. But kind of the room just blended in. I distorted it and sent it to tape and it sounded great um i had my guitars ready my bass ready and my fender roads plugged in and what that meant is i could just go in there and hit record and maybe move a couple things around but i had it all set up so having someone come in and help you if you're a type of musician that just wants to record you don't want to spend all that time bring someone and spend a little money hiring someone in freelance for a day or two and that'll get you a, you know a you know get you 
a lot. I think. Yeah. I think the whole name of the game is doing as much as you can with as little as you have. And don't blame your equipment for not making great music. Um, you can right. always spend more. There's, you know, vintage microphones. You know, if I had a mil, I could do a million dollars in about five minutes if we, if we, if you said, okay, go, you know, I could spend <laughs> it, you know, but I don't have all that. And there is a lot of, um, there's a lot you can do digitally nowadays, all the plugins that are emulating all the old analog mm -hmm. gear. I love the old analog gear. And if I could have it all, I would, but I don't have the space. I don't have the budget. Um, so I think that um, just to say in, in closing on that point, do as much as you can with what you have and focus on right. the music, throw up a microphone in front of the guitar and play the hell out of that guitar rather than think about how your mic placement might be off. You know, if you play right, poorly, right. it's not going to sound good through whatever microphone, yeah. wherever it is. You know, th think about think about Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young first record. Those guitars were recorded with an SM57. Yeah. You know, um, I would recommend finding something that you really love and seeing who engineered it. Yeah. And seeing what else they've engineered. And, you know, even if even if you're getting out of music that you're comfortable with or something like that, see what they did. Yeah. You know, see how they see how they see how they approached the situation. Um, a great engineer. Really. Is probably as important and, you know, find a guy like Eric who's yeah. who's willing, who's willing to to help you be a mentor you there know are, there, there are there are yeah i was just gonna say i mean i have ran to a few very very few uh people who seem to be really guarded about their secrets about what they did on the mix most everyone i've found is very accomplished and incredibly you know uh an open book and very graceful about sharing knowledge um you know i wonder well, if we should like richard it's like Richard rebuilding guitars. He totally. can tell you every secret he's learned over 50 years of building guitars. You aren't necessarily going to be able to build a guitar as well as he does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, I think, I wonder if there's like, maybe, you know, I wonder if there, I'm trying to think if there's like specific questions a guitar player might have about, you know, how to get the best sound out of a guitar. Well, it, I think that, that it would be fun to talk a little bit more about the other equipment that's involved. I mean, sure. so, you know, you, let's say you have a SM57 or an SM58, you know, it's, it's a basic brand name, inexpensive microphone. If you don't have a tape recorder to plug that into, you need to go another route. So uh, interfaces. Um, it's amazing what's out there in terms of interfaces right now. And as I understand it, which again, may not be entirely accurate, an interface is just a way to convert the um, analog signal coming from the microphone into a digital signal that you can put into your computer or, or whatever else. And some of them, I was always thinking that you had to get the 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 fanciest one you had, you know, Thunderbolt two or 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 whatever else. But I've read some, or I've actually watched some YouTube videos where people were explaining that the bandwidth on 
basic USB that every single device has is more than enough for the amount of data that an interface is putting out. Is that true? I mean, can we get away with a, a very simple interface and get a decent sound? Well, I think that's two different things. So talking about bandwidth of the digital side is one thing. But then when you're talking okay. about the interface, that's a whole nother discussion. So I would say, you know, because we were moving a lot more data and doing, you know, larger interfaces, we'd be doing, you know, so like, for example, 48 to, you know, 64 channels of real high quality audio. I wouldn't do that over USB myself. I mean, there's now no. USB-C, no. which I think is the Thunderbolt 3. For some reason, I've heard the Thunderbolt 3 be spec'd out more than the USB-C, even though it's the same connector. So I think that that's one thing is um, it depends on what you're doing. Most interfaces are using, you know, off-the-shelf components and, um, you know, really very basic analog uh, circuitry. Very, very, very basic. And, you know, basic is fine. I think, you know, once now that I'm working for Richard Hoover, unfortunately, I've, he's kind of ruined guitars for me, meaning I'm never going to look at guitars again the same way. You know, I'll never look at a sunburst the same way. And he never told me, oh, this is a good sunburst. You know, I love Richard's attitude that there's no such thing as a bad guitar because a $50 guitar could change the world. And I love that he's gracious about it. And we all know that he's one, he wants to make at every single potential variable in a guitar, make it be the, make that guitar the best it can be. So again, I'm really spoiled in the same way I am with Santa Cruz guitars. I was at Burl Audio. So to me, there's people that I've talked to at a really, really high level who said um, there was a, an amazing engineer or a, a producer down in Miami. And he said, when, I, when all these new interfaces came out and I was listening, I just thought that unfortunately, like no one was gonna ever hear what I used to hear when we'd have a tape machine in the studio. And then with the Burl products, I felt it again. I felt that sound and I thought it was gone and it's, it's, it's here again. And, you know, so again, I mean, I know I'm just waving that flag, but it's, it's truly what I think even now after not working for the company, this is what I would have said, working for the company as a sales mm -hmm. pitch, but you know, I, I have no, no professional affiliation with them anymore, but it's what I use all the time. So I think that an interface, there's so much that can go on in an interface and most people are kind of of the, well, it doesn't matter. It's good enough. And, you know, if you do things like Richard does with the guitars, that doesn't exist. You, you, right. you know, you're not going to put plywood in a certain part of the guitar that people just don't see because it's good enough. You know, we're going to use Sitka or, you know what I mean? It's like everything is thought out. So um, most interfaces, I would argue, are not made like Burl does where we sit with a glass of wine and would tune it like over and over and over get to get the most you know the best musical sound so i don't think it really has to do with the, you know i think the the analog and the magic really happens in the in the conversion happens in the analog side of things let me back up the sound of the device if you don't do the analog right it's going to be it doesn't matter how good the digital side is and so if, for example if you have a really under uh underwhelming kind of sterile analog section, then it doesn't matter how the USB is transferring it. It's bringing it from the analog through that circuitry, then to the digital. And then from that point, it's ones and zeros. 
So as long as you're not getting errors, you're fine. Um, as long as you're not getting dropout or some type of like buffer issue, then then that USB is fine. It it's really like with with what I know about interfaces, um, you know, it's how the signal, it's the analog section that really makes them unique. So it sounds like you'd you'd recommend somebody invest a reasonable amount of money in a good interface. Um, you can always change out the mics, but you don't want to be changing out interfaces. You know, it's really true. I mean, I think like when we say with Santa Cruz that, you know, you're coming to Santa Cruz to buy a lifelong guitar, not that's something that you think you're, you know, you work up to it um, because it's done all the way. It's, it's, and it's no compromise. It's really built to be someone's last guitar. They may get another Santa Cruz right. guitar. They may decide later they, they want a different guitar, but it's not the case where it's, you know, a step to anywhere else. And, um, you know, for me, the interface of in a recording studio or you know home studio it's a hugely important part of the situation so i would say you know i'd rather i'd much rather use a 57 and a really good interface than a really good mic through a you know a a really perfect that's yeah okay that that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense that's really valuable that's really, yeah. really, really valuable. That's a huge takeaway from today. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it just amazes me as I'm sitting here thinking, listening to you, I had never really considered how important that analog conversion. I mean, yeah, I get it, but I'd never really thought about it in depth that we could really get that. Well, and I think that, you know, when things went digital, I mean, it was, you know, the consumerism, the globalism that, you know, it's, there's not a lot of, I had a friend at this other, uh, this other company that they are, you know, I mean, I can only imagine making a hundred million dollars a year in the sales of these things. And I called him one day, we were going to do an AB test. And I said, how do you calibrate this thing? And he said, you don't. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, oh, it's a 30 cent op amp. And I went, oh, okay. And you know, that it's good enough for most everybody. And it's the kind of, the thing has been, the, and there's so much marketing out there, right? There's so much marketing about, oh, this is, you know, perfect. This is the transparent converter. This just gives you what you put into it. it everyone's, everyone's pitching that they have the most transparent converter, yet they all sound different. So how is that, <laughs> you know? And so um, there's something that really, you know, happens that's not flattering in conversion. And mm -hmm. so, you know, then there's different ways you can address that. And, um, you know, I, I think that I thought maybe after, you know, six months of not being at Burl, I may be open to other other interfaces. But for me, I'm just, hey, I'm just being totally candid that I'm just really so stuck on that because there's a certain sound that I know I can get with that, um, that just comes so quick and natural, like in the old tape days, it just sounded good right away. And if you can do that, then you're ahead of the game. And in the same breath, yeah. you know, I would I would never say I couldn't make a great recording because I didn't have a certain thing. I just know it's going to be better if I use, you know, that. Interview. I, you know, that in some ways you're preaching to the choir because that's how I feel about my Santa Cruz guitars. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure I could pick up another guitar and, and sound as good as I could probably sound, but I always feel like I sound better when I'm playing a Santa Cruz. So, yeah. 
Um, that's easy. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. I think let, used... let me ask you this yeah, question. Please. What would you consider to be two or three of the most important things for somebody to look for in an interface? Obviously, the 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 analog to digital conversion is something that somebody would, I assume, have to listen for. I don't know if there's any specs or numbers or models or something that they could see that the device includes that would mean something to them. But are there other features in the, in a um, interface that you think are important to look at? Um, I mean, it, they all kind of come right away. The first things that come to me are going to be functionality. You know, do you need a monitor control inside that you can, you know, do you have, there's, you can, of course, break everything out. You can have microphone pre's, the preamps outside of an interface, or you can have it included. Um, so it really comes down to what kind of functions do you need? You know, um, if you need the microphone preamp. So really, truly an interface really refers to having generally microphone preamp and control room monitor. So you can basically connect it to your computer, plug a microphone in, and plug your headphones or speakers in, and it's all in encompassing. We talked about converters, analog to digital and digital to analog converters being, you know, without mic pre or control room. So you have to connect those to other pieces to utilize. So often when people talk about an interface, they want an all-in-one box where you plug a microphone in and you connect your speakers and you can record. Um, so I think features is an important point. You know, um, the that's a really good question because I'm you know I think it's going to come to channel count you know how many do you need I always recommend you know I'd rather have fewer channels of excellent than more channels of crap is what I say a lot um, you know um, but I would say channel count you know this is the basic features of what is it that you're looking for do you do you have money for external microphone preamps maybe not so you need those to come from your interface um your channel count the monitoring you know do you have headphones do you have two sets of headphones so you can have someone else on headphones while you are sharing headphones you know there's workarounds and everything um sample rate you know are you able to i i was recommend recording at 96 sample 96k sample rate that's 96,000 samples per second um that's most interfaces samples. yeah most interfaces now are going to do that um the other things would be you know the things that are burl specific which is going to be class a circuitry 24 volts of you know power um discrete signal paths no integrated circuits, but that's really specific to Burl. There's a couple other other companies actually I haven't said that. So signal path would be another thing to look at, but nothing's going to be cheap when you're really getting the best class A discrete, um, you know, analog signal path. Okay. Okay. So um, I guess I mean when when I was looking at them, the things that I always thought was really useful was. Um, 48 volts of phantom power. It always su surprises me that, that some of them have different amounts of voltage. Of course, I've never understood why different I'm microphones guessing, require different amounts. Well, so so condenser microphones need that power to, to, to function. And so I can only guess that if you're looking at something other than 48 volts, 
I can imagine if you're putting it onto a, a scope and you'd see it, maybe it's 47.8 or something, but I think everyone's going to call phantom power 48 volts and anything else you're seeing would be a reference of some other type of voltage. Richard, do you have any thoughts on that one? I, I, I'm just thinking about a pedal board, you know, just oh, an cool. example, example of a pedal board where yeah. the 18 volt supplies sound yeah. better. They just sound better than the nine volt supplies. You know, a pedal that's, 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 that's designed around 18 volts just sounds better. You know, it just sounds cleaner and things. Um, no, uh, you know, other than that. And that's one of the things with okay. the Burl stuff, not to, you know, keep going on this, but it's a 24 volt rails. And that's with the class A circuitry. It's just, it's something really, really beautiful. And now that I've heard it, it's like the same thing with the guitars. I'm just spoiled. So Tad, I'm guessing that if it says something other than 40, any, I think that anyone who's advertising Phantom Power is always going to say 48. I don't think there's okay. anyone who's going to, you know, offer a 52 volt Phantom Power. I think it's 48 is a standard. Well, I yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just know that there were some like some of those internal guitar mics and and various other things that are like on ten volt or um, you know other weird voltages. And I didn't know if that really mattered, but that's okay. So the next step in the chain would be going into your computer, and that is where you get into recording software. And I know that there's some big brand names. Uh, Logic is what you hear a lot about, or I think it's what Avid. Uh, Avid has Pro Tools. maybe another one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then there's people like me who are pretty damn happy with GarageBand, especially since it's free. Right. Uh, and then there are also some other free uh, DAWs or digital audio I don't know if it's workstations or workplaces. Mm -hmm. Workstations. Workstation, yeah. Okay. Um, and there's a number of uh, them that are available on that. I know I tried playing with one on my iPad that uh, it worked, um, yeah. but it was a little too difficult to try and run a recording studio on my iPad when I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, do you have any feedback or thoughts on those? Well, I think that, you know, whatever works is kind of my my initial reaction. I don't really know logic. Of course, I hear about it a lot. I grew up teaching myself Pro Tools uh, in Pro the recording Tools. studio. That's the other Pro one. Tools is now owned by Avid. DigiDesign was a company up in the Bay Area that developed it uh, long ago. Um, so Pro Tools is a major industry standard in the U.S. Although if you get to... Europe, you see a lot of um, Cubase, Nuendo, and Logic over there. Um, so Logic is, you know, is an Apple. It's kind of garage band on steroids, you know. Um, I have always just really had the most frustrating time working in garage band because I don't know it. And I think that they, it's, you know, it's, they've dumbed it down so that Logic has features that you don't have in garage band. Um, so because I know Pro Tools so well, um, that's how I can work really fast. And if I think I need to do something, I can kind of quickly do it. Um, and then lately I've been working in Ableton Live, which is a really interesting program that kind of thinks about things in a very different way. It thinks about it. There's kind of two different views you can think about. It. Like you can look at it as Pro Tools where you have, or, or GarageBand where you have 
you know, linear, you know, you record here and it goes like this, but it also can get in this whole other thing where you can sequence different clips of music and arrange stuff in a totally different way. And I have a little controller at home. So I'm doing this thing where I've kind of got all this loop based music I'm making, but then at the same time, I can spit it out on my analog console and kind of mix as I go. So that's just, I think that it comes down to whatever you're comfortable with, you know, if it works for you, then go for it. It's so tempting to want to get a manual out and start watching videos and look at all the things you can do with a program, even GarageBand. I'm sure there's a lot of things you can do. Um, but what I kind of try to do is say, okay, what's my goal musically? How can I make that happen? Not, you know, how am I going to look at every single thing that can be done? We had these, um, I was working down at East West, which used to be cello, which used to be United Recording before that, a Bill Putnam room down in Hollywood. And the engineer uh, assistants were saying, oh, you know, oh, I was like waking up at 4 a.m. And I was thinking about, oh, how could I do this? And what if I did this? You know, like they're thinking about Pro Tools and how to do all the different amazing things. So it really comes down to what works for you and what is your goal? You know, if you want to make really loop-based music, you know, maybe GarageBand isn't the best one. Maybe it, you find it's just absolutely fine for what you're doing. Uh, GarageBand is something that's so accessible. Um, you know, I can't stand it because it doesn't do what I want it to do when I want it to do it, but that may be user error. And if it works for you, then do it. You know, that's that's my so. I you know I'm always scared of things like like uh, Logic or Pro Tools or Cubase or whatever because I keep getting these advertisements for add-ins. You know the the all these extra goodies that they want to try and sell you to do things that I don't understand, and they don't just want to sell them to you; they want to rent them to you. Um, I hate that no i mean you can buy at least you could you could buy a, a, a pro tool you know any you know anyone could want to sell you more stuff so i mean I, I i'm good at filtering out unwanted emails um there is a whole subscription thing that's huge nowadays um netflix really <laughs> was on to something i think so you know <laughs> I don't want a subscription. I, you know, Adobe wants you to have a subscription if you want to have Photoshop now. Um, and so there, you know, again, like I use Pro Tools in the way that I want to use it. And I, you know, I don't do edits visually anymore. You know, I used to look at the waveform and find it and click there. What I do now is I play it and I tap on the marker on the keyboard to drop a marker, you know, the enter key. And it puts a marker there and I'll wait till the next one and I'll hit that. And I can select from the first one and the second one and get rid of it. And so I'm editing by ear using Pro Tools. Uh, there is, I think, a Pro Tools one you can you can buy outright. Um, the problem is when they start upgrading, if you're on a subscription, they'll upgrade you for free. Um, but I think with Logic too, I think you can buy Logic with a computer. I, I don't think Logic, I think if you investigate, there are ways you can use the software you want and not have to do a subscription for now. Knock on wood. Okay. Yeah, not yes <laughs> and you know there's there you know universal audio is a company here in town they do plugins they do really some of the best digital emulations i think and they're always selling something new you know but that doesn't you know you don't need it and i think if you're not tempted to if you're in the home studio business you know if you're into building a home studio you're never going to finish 
you're never going to, you could say all you want. Oh, I've got everything I need now. Yeah. Right. You know, you're going to find something. And um, I think doing what you can with, you know, do, making the most out of what you have is a great way to go. I wouldn't worry about all the subscriptions. It's if you want a subscription, that's fine. I would find something that's not subscription based, get the program. Don't worry about all the other things you don't need, you know, go get what you need when you know that you need it and you've exhausted all the options. You know, they have stock plugins and pro tools. You can use those with great effect. You know, it's not the coolest thing, yeah. but you know, it's actually, I think, wonderful to be, have limitations. That's one thing I'll say with digital, we have no limitations. We can do 164 yeah. tracks. That's a random number, but you know, we can just go unlimited number of tracks and you can just revise everything to death. <clears throat> but having the limitation of just a few channels is actually not a bad thing. Well, and, and to me, in my mind, and, and again, you know, I, this is just from my perspective. I look at it like an electric guitar and an amp. You know, here you've got this nice electric guitar. It's got, you know, a couple of tone controls, a couple of volume controls. You plug it into an amp and the amp has got, you know, some EQ settings and some reverb settings and whatever else. And then somebody comes along and starts saying, well, now you need to buy these 32 pedals and have this whole pedal board all set up with all these different effects all tied into each other. And to me, that's how it sometimes feels like with some of these recording studio software is here you've got this great signal coming in and you've got this program that can do all these things but now we're going to start selling you all these other add-ins that you need to have in order to to do something with it it gets very confusing to me uh again well, I, think, I will say you know, again this is where professional studios and professional engineers are never going to be put out of business because to understand well, all that and to get yeah. the best out of it and it reminds me of being, you know, in Latin America and you have someone sipping at a, standing at a, um, you know, a stoplight and they come over to wash your windshield and you just have to say, no, gracias, bien. you know, like, <laughs> no, thank you. And I think with, you know, you could never stop going. And that's why I say, how many zeros do you want to spend? So I think let's not forget there's a goal here of home recording, right? We want to have a home studio. Why? Because we want to record our music. So everything that's not helping you do that forget about it like block it out because there are so many things there's our bills we have kids sometimes there's you know work we got to do all these things you have to fight for that time to get in the studio and make it happen and so really think of that as sacred and it's you want to be able to hit you know put that mic down hit record and then channel something meaningful and so yeah. you know you can as an as an engineer as a home studio owner you don't worry about all there's going to be a million things you don't know i guarantee you and a, and a bunch of things we don't understand but think about listening to what's coming out of those speakers and you're going to always think how can i make that better and when you find a tool that will help you make that better then you can look at getting it otherwise don't buy anything <laughs> until you maximize that well, mic and that interface and those speakers your room, you can get those moving blankets, move them around a little bit, maybe go into the kitchen yeah. and try it in there. There's so many variables we have with our limited, you know, resources that you could easily get into a subscription paying $100 a month for the newest plugins. But if you don't even yeah. know how to use them, then 
it's exactly. probably not making it so, sound any better. Right. Well, and now you're talking about speakers, and that's kind of where we're at. You know, after you've got this thing in your DAW, um, speakers. You have stereo speakers, which, you know, all of us are used to. Mm-hmm. Then they make specialized speakers that they call monitors, um, which, you know, I guess are some specialized form of stereo speaker. And then you have headphones. Um, or nowadays, plastic things you shove in your ears. Right. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts about all these? And uh, which ones, I mean, what do you recommend people do to evaluate what they've recorded? I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump in right there. Um, JBL 4311s. Get a pair. Get get a pair of Aratones, which um, used to be the the biggest. They're they're five inches square, and they're on every recording studio console in the planet. Let me make a plug for a friend here, which he's made during the pandemic. Uh, he made a company. They're basically making hand built wooden mix cubes we call them great and it's a company called g tone well the company is called phantom center which refers to when you have two speakers and you can hear something that sounds like it's in the middle because it's coming out of both speakers equally and then you can pan things around so the phantom center is like when you have perfect balance there you can hear something that sounds like it's in the middle so phantom center has a gorgeous hand built you can get one or two the g-tone that so that's the oratone just made out of beautiful walnut um incredible check those out so you're totally right the mid-range little speaker i was just listening last night through those speakers uh the quincy jones record roots yeah yeah and it was just incredible and i i thought for a second i had my other speakers on because it just it just sounded so sweet so anyway it's just funny that we talked about this so that's a really great recommendation. I'll, I'll turn it back over here. Yeah, our, our tones. Um, I have uh, the set of NS10 Yamahas that was in Studio C at Record Plant. When they closed, we bought those. I bought those speakers. And, you know, I can't imagine the amount of records that have been mixed on those things. But everybody listened on our tones as well, just because they're not sure. You, it, the hardest thing. The, to me, the weak link in video, in audio, is putting it in the world. You you take something and you put it in the world, and the person listening to it might be listening to it on the, the greatest stereo system in the world, or it might be a boombox from 1980. Yeah, you know, It's hard to say what they're listening to it on. So you got to make the best possible recording you can for yourself you know, and, and, and try to reference it against the world. Did you guys have uh, cassette tapes? When you, Who's you guys at the end of, at the end of the night, did you, did you, did you take home cassette tapes to listen to? You said you were taking home mixes and stuff. I mean, we made so many cassettes for people No, and, and hit factory was a big deal because we made great sounding cassettes, Right. You know, we got work because of these, they would take these pieces of plastic home with them, you know, and every, every night, I mean, every night the Eagles took everything home with them. Right. And listen to it in their car or wherever yeah. they listen to it, you know? I mean, so Tad, what the NS10 and the Oratone or G-Tone, 
I mean, they're not, they're designed to be um, extremely, you know, like layman's, just like a, a, a they're not a hi-fi speakers by any means. I, mean, I think the NS10 sound pretty bad, but the point yeah. is they, they're they known, they're everywhere because they're not trying to make it sound huge. It's like a reality check. It's like, okay, what's this going to sound when we take it out? And there was a, um, Kendrick Lamar is a really famous rapper and his engineer, Ali, uh, they were using some of our gear and I was in there. It was a big, exciting session. And the first thing he did after he's finished the mix on the big SSL board is put it on an iPad and listen to how it sounds. And so, you know, a lot of, I could go into, you know, $15,000 speakers. I, I think ATCs are really a really wonderful uh, if you have 15 to 30 grand, you know, we could talk about that. But I think a big part is, you know, your car. That's the first, another place that people go right away is to their car. Right. Listen to how does it sound in the real world, right? And I have yeah. a well, Highlander. Was... I've got a 2017 Highlander that they were making. I mean, the bass is like ridiculous. It's like really, really bumped really low. And then if I have a really nice sounding bass guitar, I can hardly hear it. So I think my, you know, in the future I'll have a new car because that's just not going to work. But um, yeah, I think well, that's what I had heard yeah. is that, you know, that's what I'd heard is that the engineers used to mix things so that it would sound really good in the AM radio of a '64 Plymouth Belvedere. You know, that was that was how they mixed things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, where is it going? I mean, unfortunately today. So like, you know, in, in the in a lot of the hip hop music, you have a really, really loud bass, right? So if I put that in my car, there's no problem. But what they're doing is they're adding distortion to bring the the low end up into the mid range so you can hear it on a phone or on your, your earbuds because they know that that's where a lot of the listeners are going to be. So, you know, I guess you have to decide what is your audience? Are you trying to put, you want to put this on YouTube? Are you making an album? Are you sending out demos? You know, you have to think about, you know, I think it's good to have a nice pair of studio monitors. And when you get them, you need to really listen to them and listen to music that you love again. That's where I was talking about to understand how it sounds, the room and the speakers, because that's going to give you like an understanding of what's coming back to you when you play, you know, play guitar or whatever you're doing. Yeah, I think. I think that's where Eric was talking about having reference tracks, things that you you know what they sound like, you know what you'd like to hear about them, and make sure that that whatever you're listening to, you know, it gives you a frame of reference um, so that you, know, you and have a better understanding of what you're hearing. You know, it's like in a lot of times I was talking earlier with guitar players having two mics on the guitar. I mean, it's a great way to go. I'm not saying don't do it, but you have to know that you're having a potential for phase issues right so you're not really going to catch that kind of stuff unless you are mixing and you you know understand how everything needs to sit in place and one thing i told richard when i first started working here is that i do a low cut on every acoustic guitar i record why because i have a bass drum and i have a bass guitar and so the vocals i'm pulling you know so sometimes if i'm recording my guitar i might want to hear myself play a dreadnought that's just got all this beautiful, you know, advanced X bracing and have a really nice solid low end. 
But when I put that into a mix, that may not be what I want. And so I would just, again, encourage anyone who wants to get into home recording, who are your, you know, recording heroes? Like I was saying, what albums do you really love? Who recorded it? And I would suggest that nowadays, finding out who, like your most famous engineer, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're going to conventions, they're talking to people, they're answering questions. They're so, I mean, there, I found a few real closed kind of jerks, but hardly any. I mean, everyone just seems so happy to share. And if you let someone know that you're an admirer of their work, I mean, generally that's, it's like, they'll just tell you anything. You know, there's a wonderful man down in Miami who recorded all the Amy Winehouse uh, stuff, Gary Noble. Wonderful gentleman. He's from, originally from uh, Jamaica. And he did a bunch of 90s hip hop stuff, the Fugees and all this stuff. I mean, he couldn't be the nicer, a nicer man. And he's just, he'll tell you what he did for Amy Winehouse's vocals. I use this mic and I put it through that compressor. You know, that, I guess my last little rant here is that if, you know, what we may want out of our acoustic guitar, for example, I'm using that as an example, may not be what they want to end up using if they're actually mixing. So it's like, what's the end result? And what's the goal? And then contact people who are doing work that you really admire and most of the time, you'd be really surprised that they're an open book and will say, oh, you know what? I'd recommend you, listen, I'm listening to this, move your mic back six inches, you know, something like this, you know, just to help out. Um, so really ask for help. I think it's all around and people love talking about this stuff, as we certainly do. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't think, I think we got to be careful or we're going to run this thing all afternoon <laughs> yeah. i would yeah. i'm happy to <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, it 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 really is um you you've really hit some really really great points you know that that listening and 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 people are willing to help yeah you know there there is there's no magic pill for it i mean you know if you set a budget and that's a pretty important point in, in what we're talking about is you set a budget and you try to take a look at that and say, okay, where can I spend the money? You know, and, and what, yeah. what, what's really important to me? What's, what, 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 where am I going to do it? But then it just comes down to just performance and doing the hard work. You know, it, 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 it's just listening and doing the hard work. Really, it, it, it is hard work. It, yeah. Henley Henley had I, Henley had fifty snare drums for the long run, yeah. and I think it was four days that in the studio just listening to this, you know, That's and fun. you can lose your mind really <laughs> fast, you know, yeah. or or you can or you can just you know do the work. Well, I. I think what we should say is that this is a discussion that's worth continuing and perhaps we should have a section on the forum that is geared more towards helping people understand how and what and with what um, they can get some help with uh, their recording, their technique, their style, their technology, their whatever else is going to be involved it's a um, it's a real opening i think, it, I, I I think opening. yeah yeah it's it's huge we 
we do have a section. We do have a piece on the forum called recording, and um, it might have five posts yeah. in it. You know, it's got nothing in it. And we put right. it there. We put it there for a reason. You know, we put it there for exactly what Tad's talking about is that it might be an open forum where people could come in and share. And, you know, that's a hard part of it is is everybody's embarrassed mm-hmm. or nobody wants to nobody wants to go out and say, I don't know. Right. But that's when you learn. That is totally you know, when you say, I don't know. And you humble yourself to that 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 person in front of you, then you learn, you know. And yeah. certainly I would say if, you know, I, I you know. Um, Richard, I mean, with your past, I mean, I would be asking you a lot of questions. I don't want to come across as an expert when I'm not, but I'll say that if anyone did have any questions for me that goes on the forum, I'm happy to, you know, answer those. Um, Appreciate and I would that. love to do it again. This is so much fun. We'll, 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 we'll come back. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, Let me it, just, I wanted to just say one quick thing on the speakers we talked about, just, just to wrap this little tidbit in there. I'm a big fan of no digital signal processing inside of a speaker, which really limits the number of speakers. So I mentioned ATC. I'm a fan of the Focals, and I use the Amphion. So those are no digital signal, no conversion and correction. It's just an old school analog speaker. And pretty much everyone else is doing the, you know, you, you have a converter inside the speaker and it's correcting for certain things and you can okay. run programs. So I'm a big fan of that. As I mentioned, ATC, Focal, Amphion. Uh, those are okay. I, I need to ask a question then. Yeah, you opened a door I there. I thought that speakers, <laughs> yeah, I thought the speakers just took a signal coming out of an amp or something and split, run it through a crossover so that you didn't drive high frequencies to your woofer and low frequencies to your tweeter but that that's all they did now are you telling me there's something different going on in speakers these days are they actually putting active circuitry inside them in some ways yeah they are and they're Uh, doing corrective stuff but we can get in all that but i'll just say that the ones that i mentioned are not yeah, we've got a whole nother podcast. Yeah, there, man. I, I, we got I, I gotta yeah. learn a little bit more about this because I, I got I gotta I ask, didn't know any of that stuff was happening. I gotta ask a will question on this. So what are you using for power amps? Um I actually have, you know, I'm a I'm using what I have available. So I have a power amp for my speakers with the Amphion set that I have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have an Amphion amp okay. as well. Yeah, that matches and then um, you know, because I'm a big fan of like not wasting stuff, the little uh, G tones, those little, I'll have to send you a picture. They're just gorgeous. Um, I, I have my, uh, the band leader from the Brazilian band, Papiva, had this old Yamaha uh, amp from like the late 80s or early 90s that was sitting in a shed and didn't work. And he gave it to me and I had it fixed up. And that's what I used to power those things. And my friend, Danny Munoz, who's, I, can't remember where he's from in South America, but he's the one who created these things. Uh, Colombia. He's from Colombia, and he, his family had a sound a sound company. And he said, "Oh, we used to use the like Yamaha was a big importer into Colombia." And he said, "We used to have those amps like everywhere." And so he really knows the amp really well. And it's a little noisy. It's got a little fan in it, but uh, that's what I'm using for the power amps. Yeah, the Ampion for the Ampions and then an old uh, Yamaha. I was thinking, you know, I, I remember we had Crown D60s for the Aritones, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much that was a standard and no matter whatever studio you went in, it was a Crown. Yeah. And, 
it was a D60 and, and that power, just the R tones and the speaker selector and all that stuff. But up at um, Burl's headquarters, the owner's got like, he's got these incredible uh, PMC speakers. There's just like massive things. And they've got three amps for each speaker, which are all Bryston. Like these, yeah, I mean, it's just like this rack of like, hey. you could not lift up that rack, you know, it's like gorgeous. So that's a really good way to go. But, you know, again, I'm making do with what I can get um, and happy to do it, you know. What one of these days I'll tell you about my custom Bozak concert brands I had when I was a young man, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll be a whole nother discussion. Love it. So it sounds like we're going to have to uh, really liven up the recording section of the forum, throw yep. some pictures up there of all this stuff we're talking about, some links, um, uh, and maybe even some sound samples. Um, and since I don't know what the hell I'm doing, I'm going to let the two of you kind of take charge on that. Sure. Um, and uh, we'll see what we can get up there <laughs> on the forum. And for everybody who's uh, made it this far in this podcast, let's just remind you that uh, the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum is where all the uh, letters and numbers get typed out so that you can uh, learn about this stuff and find the links. Um and we hope that you will uh, subscribe and join and, and participate um, because that's where we do it. Thank, thank you, Will. Oh, what a pleasure, guys. Re Thanks really, so really, really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Have a wonderful afternoon, you guys. You too. Thanks so much. Yes. Thank Be well. you. Be well. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.